Um, why don't we uh, begin our service with a word of prayer? And so I'm going to ask everybody to stand as we pray and ask the Lord to direct us this morning. And I know you've come in and um, yesterday was just a rainy day, wasn't it? Rain, 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 rain. And um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I trust that's true for you today. And sometimes we come in and our minds may be already on this afternoon or tonight. But I'd like to encourage you just to ask the Lord to help you. And I'm going to ask the Lord to help me uh, think through what we're about to do. It's not just an exercise in terms of being at church, but it's an opportunity for us to corporately worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So let's pray together, all right? Well, we just thank you. Uh, as your word tells us where two or more gathered, you're present. We thank you for the presence of our Lord and Savior this morning with us. We thank you that we are not alone. That scripture tells us that you never leave us and you never forsake us. And that if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have the spirit of the living God that resides in us. And so we are so thankful that we don't have to try to live this journey called life uh, in our own strength. But we can rely on the spirit of the living God. I pray that we're doing that. It certainly is for us, Lord, as you know, it's a great challenge every day to get up and ask the spirit of God to control our lives. But we know that's what you desire for us. And I pray that that's the case today, that the spirit of God is controlling us, and as we worship you, Lord, we want you uh, to receive all the glory and the honor and the praise because you are the only one worthy of that. And so I thank you for each one here this morning, for those who may be visiting with us today. We're thrilled that we can come to you and we can worship you. Uh, you are worthy of our worship. And so we commit our time to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. As we just continue to uh, prepare our hearts for worship this morning, I wanted to read from John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth.
So bring him incense, gold, and dirt. Come as a king to own him. The king of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him praise, the Oh, 
expecting child they search the end to find a place for you were coming soon there was no room for them to stay so when a manger filled with hay God's only son was born oh hallelujah 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 shepherds left their flocks by night to see this baby wrapped in light a host of angels led them all to you it was just as the angels said you'll find him in a major bed Emmanuel and Savior hallelujah hallelujah Bibles and go to Daniel chapter 4. You, have, you should have some notes there in your bulletin. Your first thought is how in the world is he going to get through this today? With the Lord's help. You know, I just want to just do a... Is it on Rick and Bubba they do like a shout out? Every once in a while, I listen to them. I really like their stand. I don't know if you ever listened to Rick and Bubba, but this is not a commercial for them, but I, I just really appreciate the fact they stand on the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ, and, um, and they say Merry Christmas. 
I want to do a shout out though to the youth. I was able to uh, go this past Monday and Tuesday with them over to work at Samaritan's Purse in Atlanta. And we got a lot done in between an activity that was started years ago. You might have brought those little ones. I got the big dog right here. And I will shoot it. That wasn't even planned. I didn't know they were bringing rubber bands. It was planned. That's why they're sitting so close. I thought you just loved me. I mean, I was thinking, man, these, these kids, they wore their deodorant today. They're up front. All right. Well, guys, I've got two questions to ask you before... We begin going through Daniel 4 today, and I'm hoping that the notes are, are helpful to you um, because there's a lot of information in Daniel 4. And I want you to understand, first of all, as we talked about last week, this is a testimony in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. It's a first-person testimony of what took place in his life. So as you're reading it, that's the, that's the framework. That's how you need to be thinking through what is said here in Daniel chapter 4. But here are two questions I want you to consider for your own life, and I'll consider them for my life as well. The first one is, what is your testimony? What is your testimony? Not the one next to you, but your testimony. What would that include? Would it just be something that's strictly historical in the past, or would it be present tense? This is what the Lord is doing in my life now, and this is what I am anticipating as I move forward in the Christian life. And so, what is your testimony? And then, I want to ask you the second question, how has your life changed since you were born again? How has it changed? What's different about you? You know, what's going on in your life that reflects a testimony, a testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ and the difference that he's made in your life? Um, if I was to ask you to come up here and, and share with us, I'm not going to do that, but if I was, would it be okay to say, hey, come up here and tell us, number one, when you got saved, how that happened, and then what's the Lord doing in your life since that point of salvation? That would be okay, wouldn't it? Because if you're born again, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have something to share. And... The world needs to hear it. They need to believe. You know, we call it good news, but we need to speak forth like it is good news. Like people need to hear it. Well, I would like to propose to you that in Daniel chapter 4, we witness a man who changed. And I put for you in your bulletin just some notes to kind of help you. I'm just going to just review uh, briefly um, in the first part, verses 1 through 3, I've entitled the introduction. And in the introduction, we see uh, the writer is identified, the recipients are identified, and then the subject is identified. Notice verses 1 through 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth. In other words, he wanted everyone to know. I, th I kind of like that, and I think that's kind of the way we ought to be. We want to know, right? We want people to know that, hey, there is a Savior, and He is Christ the Lord. 
Um, and then he says, may your peace abound. He says, it has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders of the most, or which the Most High God has done for me. So his subject is the Most High God. And then he says, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. Now remember, as he's writing this, these things have taken place. And so for him to write, hey, this is what happened, considering what does happen is quite amazing. He says, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And so the first three verses provide for us the introduction to, the, to really a question that arises, how did Nebuchadnezzar arrive at this point which verses 2 and 3 tell us. How in the world did he get there? Well, the rest of the chapter tells us that. And you remember, just briefly, we'll go through this outline, verses 4 through 18. Uh, verse 4 is the easy life. Nebuchadnezzar had it easy. He's about 30 to 35 years in his kingdom, and things are going well. Notice what he says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. He's doing just fine. And his mindset is, at this point, hey, I don't need anybody. I'm good. I'm the king. And as we're going to see later on, remember as we looked at last week, the issue for Nebuchadnezzar is his pride. And that's the issue for man. Man rejects God because of pride. It was this, it's even an issue in the church. As you go to 1 Corinthians, you see they have, they're a very prideful church. So he's at ease. He has an easy life. Then verse 5 reveals to us a troubled spirit that Nebuchadnezzar had. Notice what it says. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And that means this, that it was over and over and over again. It was relentless. These things that he saw were kept going over and over and over again in his mind. All right? Well, then we have the orders of the king in verses 6 and 7. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them. But they could not make its interpretation known to me, or they didn't want to. Um, if you just study Daniel, you'll see you don't want to cross Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted to tear them limb from limb in chapter 2, according to the scriptures. Well, but verse 8 tells us that God's man shows up and his name's Daniel. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. There was, Nebuchadnezzar recognized there was something different about Daniel. And that's the expression there, spirit of, of the holy gods is used three times as we referred to last week. There's something different about Daniel and what's going on in his life with his God. He says, And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream which I have seen along with its interpretation. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, he had already done this one time with Nebuchadnezzar. So there's a history there. Verse 10 through 18 tell us about the vision of the tree, or the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And here it is, verse 10. Now these are the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth. And its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky. 
and it was visible to the whole earth. It was prominent. Its foliage was beautiful, and in its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. So it was nourishment, provided nourishment. And the beast of the field found shade under it. So it was a place of shelter. And the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all the living creatures fed, fed themselves from it. And then he goes on, he says, I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. And he shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Notice verse 15, Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground but with a band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field. And let him be, be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind, verse 16, be changed from that of a man and let a beast mind be given to him. And let seven periods, as we said last, year, last week, that's seven years. Let seven years of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watcher. And the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that, and this is really crucial. Notice this. It's not just Nebuchadnezzar, but it's all. Notice verse 17. In order that the living, all who are living, may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. So, then he wraps it up in verse 18 and says, This is the dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation. And as much as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then we go to verses 19 through 27, and you have the interpretation of the dream. But in here, there's really a focus on Daniel and his and three specific issues about Daniel, his compassion, his integrity, and then the challenge or the exhortation that he gives to Nebuchadnezzar. Look at this. Verse 19 tells us about his compassion. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretations alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you. Uh, and its interpretation to your adversaries. Because Daniel knows what he's about to have to do. Now remember, Daniel spent some time with Nebuchadnezzar. When you spend time with one who does not know God, what happens to you? You want them to what? Know God. At least we ought to. And that certainly here is something that Daniel wanted for Nebuchadnezzar. Well, then in verses 20 through um, 20 through 26, we have the integrity of Daniel. Notice this. He says, The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the sky lodged, it is you, O king. It's you. Remember last week we said when Nathan goes to David... You're the man, David. But think about what it must have been like. I mean, I don't know that we can really 
fathom what it must have been like for Daniel to go in front of the greatest ruler and say, hey, it's you. It's you, O king, for you've become a great and grown, and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. And in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree, and underscore this, this is the interpretation, and this is the decree of who? Daniel? No. The Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you. Notice the repetition of this. Because it's important. And if it was important for Nebuchadnezzar, it's important for us today, is it not? Until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes, do you know that the Most High is in control? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you live like that? <laughs> Somebody was honest. Sometimes. Notice verse 26. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. There's a picture of hope there. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. It's God that rules. We said last week, it would be nice if CNN came on and said that. It is God that rules. You know, guys, we don't have to wait for CNN to come on. We can do it. We may not have a camera in front of us, but we can do it. Well, then you have Daniel's challenge or exhortation. And this is just more evidence of his, his compassion and his love for Nebuchadnezzar. Notice verse 27. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. That's quite a statement. He says, break away now from your what? Sin. <laughs> you know, when I was reading this again this week, I was like, my goodness. You know, we live in a culture where we're afraid to tell someone what God says, that they're a sinner. Uh, Daniel, I'm sure, may have been shaken, right? But what does he do? He tells him what? The truth. He says, break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Listen to me. There is no substitute for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must tell people the bad news. Now I know that there, is, there tends to be a propensity toward all the good news. And listen, I'm all about good news. But man needs to understand his condition. And why he is separated from God. Can I get an amen on that? Not loud enough. I mean, right? But yeah, you don't know my friends and you don't know my family. But you know God. Listen, can you imagine what it must have been like 
for the disciples to receive the command? Go make disciples of all nations. Don't leave out anything. Right? The Lord does not want us to leave out things. And I know I'm camping on something, but I think it's really important, and I don't see it a lot today. There's not a lot of camping on what separates man from God, and it is sin. And unless you're born again, you're still separated. And if you're in Christ today, it's only because of his grace. That was almost like preaching. So he tells him, hey, repent. Break away now from your sins. Don't wait. Well, we move from the dream interpreted to the dream comes true. (laughs) The first point that I underscored there was 12 months of grace. You remember that? I talked about that a little bit. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. So twelve months went by. Twelve months, I call it twelve months of grace. Because what did Daniel tell Nebuchadnezzar? Turn away from your sins in six months? No, now. We need this nation to turn away from sin now. Right? Our nation is a dark place with a few lights. Do you understand that? It's a dark place with a few lights. You say, Thad, we live in the Bible Belt. No longer. No longer. That's gone. We need to eliminate that phrase. We can't even get people to stand on God's Word. We can't get pastors to say, open your Bible. I've been to funerals where the word of God is not even read. How do you do that? Unless you have no hope, unless all there is is this. Twelve months of grace. Nineveh was given 40 days. Noah preached for 120 years. And I would say this, every day that goes by is an opportunity for everyone to repent and believe. Every day that goes by is God's grace. So if you haven't repented and trusted Christ as your Savior, do it today. I lived in a generation growing up that said, well, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. You're not promised the next moment. By the way, neither am I. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Neither am I. So 12 months of grace, and then there's no repentance in these 12 months. Well, verses, verse 30 reveals Nebuchadnezzar's problem. It's pride. Notice verse 30. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of what? My power. And for the glory of my majesty. At this point, it was all about well, who? Nebuchadnezzar. Look at what I've done. I've got them somewhere. Thad, thank you, Lord. I've got a few verses I want to share with you about pride. And, and, and you can just write them down and, and look them up later. But listen to them. 
Proverbs 6, 16 says, There are six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. And the first one mentioned is haughty eyes, pride. Psalm 101, 5, David speaks for God and says, The man of haughty looks, the man of haughty looks an arrogant heart, excuse me, the man of a haughty looks an arrogant heart, I will not endure. Proverbs 16, 5, Everyone who is arrogant is an abomination to the Lord. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 11, The haughty looks of, of man shall be brought low, and the pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And that's how it will be. My friends, listen to me. That's how it will be. When he comes back the second time to rule and reign on earth, it will be all about him. Suggestion, if we're going to boast, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. The Lord hates pride. That was Nebuchadnezzar's problem, verse 30. Then we have in verses 31 and 32, God's judgment spoken and fulfilled. Notice verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth. In other words, there isn't a lot of time that goes by. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, and there's five things he says. And I didn't put these down. You can just put one, two, three, four, five in your Bible. All right? It's all right to mark in your Bible. Number one, sovereignty has been removed from you, Nebuchadnezzar. It will be removed from you. It will be stripped from you. Secondly, he says, and you will be driven away from mankind. In other words, your scenery will change, Neb. Your scenery is going to change. He's going to go with dwelling from mankind to being with the beast of the field. Youch. In fact, in chapter 5, it says his dwelling place was with wild donkeys. <laughs> I don't know, I've been, I, don't, I haven't been too close to a donkey, but wild donkeys, man, that doesn't sound fun. So your scenery will change, and then your diet will change, Nebuchadnezzar. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. No more steak and potatoes. You're going to grass. Am I making you hungry? Not for grass, but steak and potatoes. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, you'll be given grass to eat like cattle, number three. Excuse me, I skipped one. Back up, I'm sorry. Sovereignty has been removed from you. In other words, you'll be stripped from your rule. Secondly, you'll be driven away from mankind. Your scenery will change. Thirdly, your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. In other words, your home is different now, Neb. And then your diet is different. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle. And then, fifthly, he says, seven years of time will pass over you until you recognize, here's that phrase again, that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whomever he wishes. Then notice what verse 33 says. Here's the fulfillment. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating gra grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. Wow, that's a picture. 
And what he's going to say at the end of verse 37 kind of fits that. He goes from ruling and reigning in a palace to eating grass with the beast of the field and dwelling there. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You look at that and go, well, I'm glad that wasn't me. But I want to propose to you that verses 34 through 37 tell us about the change in this man's life. First of all, I want you to see that his focus changed. Ah. Notice verse 34. And notice the word order here. But at the end of that period, or seven years, notice Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't say, my reason returned to me. He doesn't say that first. What does he say first? I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward where? Heaven! It was different for Nebuchadnezzar. I was overtaken by that word order there. He looked to heaven, then he was restored. Then the Bible says that he worshipped the Most High. Notice what it says. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Can I ask you a question? When do Christians tend to do that? Praise and worship and bless the Most High. Sunday morning. Somebody said the right answer. Sunday morning. But I have good news for you guys. We are not confined to Sunday morning. We can worship and bless and honor the name of the Lord every single day. (laughs) I know I could use some improvement in that area. How about you? He worshiped the Most High. And this is in contrast to him acknowledging the Most High, which he did in Daniel 2, in referencing Daniel's God, and which he did in in referencing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, he did acknowledge them, or God, in chapters 2 and 3, but it wasn't his most high God at that point. So he worshipped the most high God, verse 34. He recognized the eternality of the most high. Look at verse 34. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who what? Who lives forever. In contrast to Nebuchadnezzar who's going to die. He recognized the eternality of the Most High. You know, I love the scriptures that say he is from everlasting to what? Everlasting. You ever sat in your bed and tried to figure that one out? You're not gonna. He's always been and he always will be. And you know what that takes on our part, guys, to believe that? It's called faith. It's called faith. It's what the author of Hebrews 11 calls faith. So he recognized the eternality of the Lord. Thirdly, he recognized that his rule and kingdom are forever. Look at verse 34. For his dominion, his rule is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. My friends, who is in control? The Lord is in control. 
there may be one that sits in the White House, and the Lord is not shocked by who's sitting there. He's in control. Daniel said it in Daniel chapter 2. You don't need to turn there, but in Daniel 2, it says this. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him, and it is he who changes the times and the seasons. Listen to this. He removes kings and establishes kings. In other words, he puts them on the throne and he takes them off. Well, if there's anyone that understood that, it would have been Neb. By the way, if you go, if you have time this afternoon after you eat your steak and potatoes, you know, there's historians um, argue about the validity of this chapter. Hey, what happened in those seven years that Neb wasn't on the throne? You know, Daniel was a pretty prominent guy in the life of the king. I'm not sure that the Lord just didn't use Daniel. I don't know. But I do know this, the Lord was in control. He recognized the rule and kingdom of the Lord are forever. Then, fourth, he recognized that the Most High is separate. I like this. Look at verse number 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing in that's nothing in what? In comparison to who? The Most High. He is separate. Isaiah puts it like this. He is separate, separate, separate. You remember that? Isaiah chapter 6, he says he is what? Holy, holy, holy. And I wonder today if he's treated that way even by Christians. He's separate. He is not the man upstairs. He is a holy, holy, holy God. He is different from man. <laughs> I like the way Isaiah puts it. Because in the context of that vision, he sees the holiness of God. He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in that text he says, Woe to me, for I am undone. When you're met with the holiness of God, you are undone. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I love the order there. He doesn't say, hey, these people are unclean. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of what? Unclean lips. Holy, holy, holy. By the way, parents... You have a responsibility to teach your children that he is holy, holy, holy. And your grandchildren. You know, my kids are pretty much out of the house and I have three granddaughters. And my passion is driving me. I want my grandchildren to know the Lord. I want them to say on a platform that God gives them, he is holy, holy, holy. Fifth, he recognized the authority of the Most High. Notice verse 35. But he does according to his will in the army, and that's the word there, in the host, some translations have, but it's army, in the army of heaven. 
He does what he wills. He's not waiting for permission. Not only does he do what he wills in heaven, but notice he says in earth. And among the inhabitants of the earth, he does what he wills. Wow, Nebuchadnezzar knew that, didn't he? (laughs) He went from the penthouse to the outhouse. He knew. He recognized the authority of the Most High. Sixth, he recognized that no one can thwart, no one can thwart what the Most High does. Notice verse 35, and no one can ward off his hand. That word there means strike against. No one can strike against his hand. (laughs) You know, I was reading that and I was like really encouraged by that. You say, Thad, how'd you get encouragement out of that? You know, if no one can thwart what the Most High has done, past tense then no one can thwart what the Most High does today and what the Most High will do. So we talk about all those promises. We can believe that the Most High is going to do what He says. 1 Thessalonians tells us He's coming back for His church. You believe that? No one can thwart that. I like that. I like the fact that no one can take away my salvation. No one. You say, how do you know that? The Bible tells me. He loses none of his sheep. (laughs) Woo! He loses not one. And the Bible tells us that, that we've been sealed by the Spirit of the living God until the day of redemption. And no one can take away that seal. you got to just feel sorry for these people who say, well, I'm going to let God know. (laughs) Yeah. I think it should bring us comfort. I think it should bring us so much comfort because we know the one who's in control. Seventh, he recognized that no one can question the actions of God. (laughs) Neb is saying, what was done in my life was done. What was done in his life? Well, we just read it. He went from dwelling in his palace and ruling his kingdom to being out in the fields eating grass. You know... I think for you and me, there are times when we say, man, Lord, what is going on? Well, can I give you some, a verse that you guys know? But right, maybe we ought to just like apply it a little more and, and think on it a little more. Because there are things that happen in our lives where we throw up our hands and we say, hey, Lord, what's going on? First of all, we need to know that he's not surprised Okay, he knows what's going on in your life and my life. But we truly can take comfort in that verse. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Even though we may not understand everything, 
we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are decalled, is actually the way it reads, decalled according to His purpose. We know that who causes all things to work together for good? God. Underscore it, right? Highlighted. It. It's highlighted in my Bible. It is God who causes all things to work together for good. Are all things good? I don't know about you, but in my life, there hadn't been all things good. You know, I face the same things you face as a person, living life, trying to please the Lord in all my actions. But sometimes, life hits hard. It punches you in the gut. And you're like, hey, God, do you know what's going on? It's me. It's Dad. It's your servant. I may not understand it at the time I'm going through it, but I can rest in the fact that the Lord is on the throne. Verse 36. He was graciously restored to his rule as king of Babylon. Notice verse 36. At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me. Notice the language here. It's not about him. It's about what was given to him. My majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking, seeking me out. I was what? Reestablished in my sovereignty. And surpassing greatness was added to me. Who added that greatness? The Lord. It's called grace. My friends, listen to me. Anything that we have, right, that we would say good, comes from the Lord. It's by his grace, <laughs> right? I know for years, I probably took for granted the health of my children while they were growing up until I started visiting children's hospitals. And I'm like, whoa, man, Lord, you are gracious, right? I don't deserve healthy children. The Lord gave them to me, and they're healthy. And I think what I love most about it, for sure, is that all three of my boys know the Lord. And that's by His grace as well. Well, I know you're not believing we're getting all through this, right? Secondly, I want you to see that Nebuchadnezzar continually worshipped the King of Heaven. You say, where did you get that? I'm going to tell you. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. That's good stuff. You say, yeah, but how did you get continually worship? Here it is. Special note. The words praise, exalt, and honor, I know you're going to love this part are active participles. How many of you just love participles? Great. 
are active participles expressing continual action. In other words, it wasn't just a one-time thing with Neb. It was a lifestyle. He was worshiping the Lord continually. And guys, we have the freedom to do that today. To worship the Lord continually. Please don't wait till Sunday. <laughs> he continually worshiped the Lord. You know, worship's not confined to these four walls. Worship is an expression of one who's worthy of praise. We did that this morning in song. He's worthy of praise. We express that through our songs. We express it through prayer. We express it through study of Scripture. It excites me. I get excited because I'm worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and graciously he saved me, and I understand he's in control, and he's the only one worthy of worship. Go to Revelation 4 and 5, and you'll see it. Well, this continual worship is explained by his understanding of three things. Look what he says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true. All his works are true. The works of the King of heaven are right. Meaning this, God's actions, as one theologian put it, correspond truly to his own standard of righteousness. Now I want you to listen to that again. God's actions correspond truly to his own standard of righteousness. Can I just speak about that for a minute? Sometimes I think that it's looked at as, this is God's standard of righteousness. This is what I believe it is. Uh, where do we get God's standard of righteousness? The book. The book. God's standard is the book. His standard of righteousness comes from his word. And we are introduced to who he is and what is right. And he says, the works of the king of heaven are right. And then he says, secondly, the ways of the king of, king of heaven are just. Ugh. Someone says, I don't like that word just. Well, be glad it's not fair. Fair, I'm in trouble. By the way, just fair, you're in trouble too. Just wanted you guys to know that. In love. I'm thankful we serve a just God. You know, people, I think that's another one. This, that sin thing, you remember that word I talked about earlier? You do, because you were listening. This just word, people don't like either, even in Christian circles. Yeah, but does God really have a right to do that? Seriously? I mean, here's a guy who was hanging out with animals. And he's saying the ways of the king of heaven are just. Nebuchadnezzar didn't deserve grace, but grace was there. <laughs> I don't deserve grace, but grace is there. 
My friends, listen to me. I love talking about the love of God, but not absent from the justice of God. <laughs> because you, people will say, well, I really like this love thing. I do too. God demonstrated his love toward me and that while I was yet what? Christ died for me. I deserve hell. I'm getting heaven. I deserve eternal separation from God. And it's only by His grace I'm getting heaven. Read the story when you go home with a rich man and Lazarus. You know, there's an argument about to whether it's a story or, or a parable. I believe it's a story of a real dude. And do you know that same drop of water that he wanted, the rich man? He still wants. And I think people today are trying to figure out, how can I escape? If there's a God, how do I escape from his wrath? Trust in Christ as, in it, as Savior. That's how you escape. <laughs> and that's it. Last. You're shocked because we went through that whole thing. Thirdly, continual worship is expressed here because the king of heaven, he says, humbles those who walk in pride. You know, when you read that, did you read that like I read that going, man, Lord, I deserve to be eating grass. Les Miles does eat grass. He just got a job at Kansas. I don't know if they have a grass field or artificial turf. But he's going to find that grass. I wrote down just a couple of examples, and I just want to give them to you. And after you're done with your steak and taters and the other things I've given you to do, read about how the Lord humbled Ananias and Sapphira. You know, that whole picture there, I think, is intended for the church to be fearful of God. And then if you look at the Corinthian church, <laughs> boy, he sure did humble those folks. And I think the church today, you know, people look for comparisons. I think the church at Corinth is a good comparison to the way the church today is today. There's a whole lot of unrighteousness going on. There's a whole lot of sin going on without any accountability. It's sad. There are churches that aren't standing on the word of God because they're afraid to offend their members. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. It's offensive to those who are perishing. It's offensive when you and I aren't walking in fellowship with the Lord. <laughs> well, that's quite a testimony, isn't it? 
I've got some questions for you to leave with. Number one, what does worship of the Lord look like in your life and mine? What does that look like? Is it regular? Is it sporadic? Is it, is it something maybe that you're even frustrated with? Thinking, I don't even know what it means to worship. All that word means is worship. Who is worthy of worship? The Lord. I just thought, class, you were still awake. Who's worthy of worship? The Lord. And Him only. I could do a whole other sermon on that one. Second, what have you recognized about God at this point in your life? Not what have other people told you. What have you recognized? Where are you going to get that from? The Bible. Third, do you have an accurate understanding of God? Now, I put, in, I put that in there because as I read through this powerful testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, there's an accurate understanding of God. And I'm going... Like in our culture today, church culture today, you know, if I said to you, list 10 attributes of God, could you do it? And then more important than listing them is, have you experienced them in your life? Where you come to the point of understanding the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the omnipotence of God, all those things. Because he is like no one. By the way, if you don't understand and you want to understand, I'll be happy to sit down with you and talk with you. And you can teach me and I'll teach you. Or you can just go to school. Fourth, are you living like the Lord is in control? Well, you know what we would say? Nebuchadnezzar wasn't living like the Lord was in control. But he started living like the Lord was in control. And do you know another, and I'll close with this, but another um, point that comes from this powerful testimony is that we should never stop praying for those who are unsaved. Don't give up. I think I've shared this with you in the past. It's probably been a while, but... One of Teresa's grandfathers, what did we call him? Papa. I can't remember all the names. We used to have Christmas breakfast at Papa's house at an ungodly time. <laughs> and there were so many people at that little house. You know, as the years went on, I learned how to eat. First, <laughs> but for years, I'm trying to remember how old he was when I met him. Probably, he was old, 70s maybe. That's young if you're 70. Here. <laughs> In fact, it's looking younger and younger. 
But I remember Teresa's mamma, and she was just a godly woman, full of grace and mercy. Man, she was unbelievable. And she cooked great breakfast. And years, was it 60 years, I believe, she prayed for the salvation of her husband. It's a lot of Christmases, a lot of birthdays, a lot of anniversaries. When he was 90 years old, he trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior. <laughs> 90. And he's with the Savior. And can I tell you something? That man lived it. For one solid year, he was the Lord's greatest witness. Don't give up on folks. Keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for changed lives and for your scriptures that give us mounting evidence of how you change people. Those of us who are in Christ today, we have that in common. You changed us. We went from darkness to light. We went from being lost to being found. <laughs> Lord, it's amazing when you consider the depth of this subject of salvation. All the things that you did for us and are doing for us. Lord, I pray that we would write out our testimony. What you have done in the past. How you saved us and how you're continuing to do your work in us. And Lord, I pray on our part that we would be submissive and yield to the Spirit of God. And I pray, Lord, as I was thinking about all these folks in here this week, we need to encourage one another to godliness. We need to encourage one another because we live in a godless world and a country that is growing more and more cold to the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us steadfastness. Help us to be immovable knowing that we are working and that our labor is not in vain. And as this Christmas season is upon us, I pray that our emphasis would be on the birth of our Savior. And that people would know without a shadow of a doubt we belong to Jesus Christ. In whose name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thad. Um, what a powerful testimony in Nebuchadnezzar's life, right? Um, I love testimonies, and everyone is different as far as the physical circumstances. But what I love about testimonies, too, is that the spiritual realities are the same, whether you're Nebuchadnezzar or Saul, or me, or you. And that is like Thad just said, that God took someone that was lost and made them found. He took someone who was deaf and made them hear. He took someone who was dead 
and made them alive. He turned them, as it says in this song, to the one way out, which is Christ. So let's just rejoice and, and praise his name for what he's done in our lives. As a lost man is turned, turn to the one way out. What was lost now is found, the way was laid in the ground. Watch as a lost man is turned. What was lost now is found, the way was laid in the ground watch as a lost man is turned watch as a deaf man hears with fears that have been made new where lies once swayed now truth has made a way as a deaf man hears, where lies once held sway, now truth has made a way, and watch as a deaf man hears. Oh, and watch as a dead man sees, new life in Christ. Yeah. 